What up, everybody? My name is Matt, a.k.a. Cut Corners, and this is another episode of Unscripted, which is a show about the power of music. Um, you know, I, I host this, so try and do them pretty regularly, i.e. every week or every two weeks, you know, depending on the schedule. But, um, yeah, we're back here another week. Uh, if you've never tuned in before, we chat about music, we have interesting guests, um, and we always get into some the, the nitty-gritty and history of each guest, which is always really fun. There's always like some great things we all learn about. But if you've already listened to the show, you already know what it's about. Thank you so much for always tuning in. Um, but yeah, let's get right into it. Today's guest is an exciting multi-hyphenate. I know that word gets used a lot, but there's really no other way to describe this person. Um, he's got incredible history over the years, producing with people like John Bapp, Eric Badu, Dua Lipa, Dochi. Um, the list goes on. Um, and more recently, putting out his own songs uh, using his own voice, uh, which is going to be a really interesting thing to chat about. Um, his story is really inspiring, so I'm really pleased to welcome Zach Witness to the show. Big up, Zach. Welcome to the show. Yeah. <laughs> Hope I did you justice there. Yes. Yeah. We're triggering all the samples in this interview, so just be prepared. That's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Great. We're going to get it. Yes. But, but man, thank you so much for being our guest today. It's great to have you on the show. Um, I just want to get right into it. Let's get get cut to the chase, man. Um, I know you just recently returned from London, and um, you're you're where are you at? Where you're in LA now? Is that right? I've moved back uh, across the pond. I'm in LA. Um, yes, London uh, is like forever home in a lot of ways but the vitamin D levels have been depleted and I definitely had to move somewhere more sunny. Um, and yeah, okay, so there's a lot I could say about London and if there's anything specific that you wanna know, um, by all means go for it, but I'll just give you a kind of broad um, overview of like why London is important to me and, and, and the whole like reason behind moving to London. Yes, please. A lot, of people, a lot of people were kind of like, um, puzzled as to why I would move to a different country and all these things. Um, but I never went to college, so I needed a moment in my life to like really like be with myself, like live my own life, kind of have like my college experience in a way. And in hindsight, London was, was completely that. It was like um, a place where I had the opportunity to like explore and experiment and like just kind of spread my wings and, and see what happens um so yeah it's it it was really important to me in terms of getting a grounding in myself and um london is is probably the most diverse city in the world maybe next to like toronto new york but it's it's diverse in my opinion in a very special way because it um it's, I don't know, like you're just thrown in with everyone. You're on buses, you're on trains every day. You're around people who are speaking multiple different languages, multiple different religions. And it's like the world at your doorstep. So in terms of a place where you could really experience like the world in one place, for me, it was that. Um, and also musically, it's just like, man, like, no shade on America, but like, <laughs> but people in England 
and maybe this is just a European thing in general, but especially in England, like people really take the time to appreciate music and to know the artists that they love. And I feel like very often I would be on a train or a bus and would have the most incredible like musical conversation with the stranger about their favorite artist and how they've read all the you know books and biographies and watched all the documentaries about their favorite artists and meanwhile this person literally works at like nando's or like just an everyday kind of place right so i think in terms of my musical knowledge and my my agility in terms of like having those conversations london sharpened me up real quick and it also opened me up to so much because over there, maybe this is the best way I can say this, like in London, people want to hear a tune, but in America, people want to hear a hit, you know mm. what I mean? And so in England, the the uh, factors of like what makes a song good are slightly different, I think. Like they just want to hear good music, like with raw, real feeling. Um, and it was particularly incredible to me how like house music is completely mainstream music there. Like so many people, again, like these aren't like music heads or anything would know like these like kind of deep house records. Like, like I was at clubs and multiple times, like one of my favorite house records of all time, which is Promised Land by Joe Smooth would come on and like people, would, like the whole room would be singing every lyric. And I'm like, wow, this is this is insane. Because in America, maybe up until this year, you know, thanks to like Beyonce and Drake or whatever, like house music has always been this super underground thing. Or if it's not that, it's seen as this like gay white thing, which is really ironic because it like it comes from black roots. But like, yeah, London, London opened me up and it trained me and it sharpened me. And um, I feel like now that I've got that, I can just come back to America and like slice these mofos up. You know what I mean? Like, in the best way. Do you think that begs the question, though, because I, I, I understand exactly what you mean. Um, and the difference is, I mean, I've actually talked to people like Wajid about it. You know, it's people like, you know, from Detroit where, you know, techno and house music is from. And then, mm. you know, obviously that's been a, a really embraced by you know, Europeans and specifically London and England. Um, and I've, I've actually wondered, and I'd love to ask you your opinion on this is like, you know, a lot of the radio stations and, you know, I think a lot of the radio stations I've listened to from, you know, England, you know, people like Giles Peterson, Worldwide FM, even the BBC, like the BBC British Broadcasting Corporation, a publicly funded radio uh, breaks great music. In fact, you yourself were on, um, uh, Oh, shoot, I forget. You were on the BBC. You did a show with um, the legendary... Um, Ross Allen? No, you, or... you did a mix, a mini mix. Annie Mac, I think it was. Oh, Annie Mac. Yeah, and I think yes. about like the essential mix. These are all like institutional uh, parts of the public radio uh, experience for British people. And I wonder, does that, is, is that, in your opinion, is that does that play a huge role in, in that discovery of music? Huge, 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 huge. Um, so I actually got my start in radio when I first started DJing radio was like the first world that I existed in very quickly. I learned about the politics and the money involved and 
you know, how hard it was to get new records played on air and how, how many hoops you had to jump through. And in, in the UK, it's, it really is more based on taste and you really get actual radio shows. Like in America, very often, it's like the same records on repeat by the hour and the person talking on the radio might change, but the records pretty much stay the same. In the UK, it's like, I know when I listen to Annie Mac, I'm gonna get a certain sound. I know when I listen to Giles Peterson, I'm gonna get a certain flavor. Like, so there's actual radio shows curated by someone who really believes in what they're playing. And that makes an insanely huge difference. Um, Cause it's coming from a real place. It's not coming from like- Payola. Yeah, payola, <laughs> like will this sell, you know? And um, I think by default, like people's taste in music is elevated for that reason. So I would say a lot of it, at least in terms of the UK, has to do with the fact that radio is so much more maybe democratic or it's more of a meritocracy where it's based on just is this good or not? Is this exciting or not? And um and also just the culture of it, I think the weather obviously plays a big role. Um, I think the weather often sets the tone of a lot of, you know, places and cities. And in the UK, as, as much shit as people want to talk about the weather there, it does breed this kind of um, way of life that is very introverted and more emphasizing, I think, um, cerebralness. Like, I think it's common to to meet people who are talking about their favorite book that they're reading. In LA, I have not yet heard one person talk about their favorite books. Damn. So it's just a different culture, you know? Yeah, it's, it's true though. Um, the I mean, I think even when you think about like UK radio culture, like pirate radio, for example, is also a huge part of that. Um, and like birthing new genres, the rave culture. And I know that one of the great things I, I when I was researching um and and just trying to get up to speed with what you're up to lately i actually stumbled well didn't stumble i <laughs> was very easily directed to one of the videos that you recently put out um with uh with which was a love letter to to you know the uk rave scene um and mm. and i was thinking yeah like the the uk pirate radio that was really like a very important part of like continuing that 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 kind of creativity and giving it a platform so like jungle you know uh breakbeat culture you know all had a place for those those songs and that music to live and even as a young man in new zealand i got like rave tapes from like <laughs> you know the uk and like some people that you know would go over there see their family would bring them back and you'd be getting like the rawest jungle you know breakbeats and and stuff from like pirate radio stations and it was so crazy yeah sick yeah. yeah, but tell me about this video you oh. did, um, uh, and and the love letter to the UK. I if, I forget the name of the song off top. If you could let us know what it is. Yeah, so I believe the one you're talking about is "Love Divine." That's and, it. Uh, shout out to my brother Ed Christie who helped me put that together. The whole inspiration was to take the aesthetic of those old '90s rave flyers, that kind of like Nero, like psychedelic thing and create an entire world out of that that's like moving and animated so that's basically what we did um and we referenced a lot of actual flyers from that era that were like really iconic um and yeah it just felt like 
I don't know, the UK has given me so much. Like it really, as I was saying earlier, it gave me the opportunity to, you know, kind of be myself really and figure out what that means. So yeah, I just felt like I needed to say thank you. But also like, I grew up listening to a lot of UK music. So it's something I'm genuinely like inspired by. Um, yeah, I think those are the main things I'd like to say about that one. Wait, I can't hear you, Matt. That's my bad. I was just going off too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, my bad. I was just saying how much I really enjoyed that um that track, and I posted the link in the chat. Um, so oh, if you wanted to check that out, which I highly recommend you do, check out the Love Divine uh, by Zach Witness YouTube in the link. Um, and yeah, I did. I was saying that's right, Arlo. I was saying you have great curls, Zach. Um, <laughs> but the the um the video was really fantastic like congrats congrats to you um the song is perfect with it you've got like all these like lovely uh little elements which and as as like your um like many of your productions just really are audio candy i guess yeah that one especially that one was completely like out of line ridiculous like I had no business making a song like that because it's essentially uh, maybe 20 different songs, you know, in in one. The whole kind of approach to that was I wanted to make an, an audible Instagram scroll of the UK rave era. So it's like three years at least of music compacted into three minutes as an audible Instagram scroll. You know, that was like my approach to it and that's why it like changes so sporadically you know because often when you're scrolling through instagram things just pop up they start playing and then you're like ah that's whack and then you go to the next thing and it's, it starts playing and this is how we experience sound and music and audio nowadays in this really like schizophrenic way and i think um in terms of you know offering up music to contribute to to like the conversation of culture it's important to meet people where they're at in some mm. way you know i think essentially i'm gonna do whatever the fuck i want to do but i don't want to alienate people and like make things that are just going over people's heads so it was also a an act of meeting people where they're at and this kind of hyper um like information like content age or whatever i guess that we're in um but there was another video that i shot in london which um i'd also really love to talk about if um, if it's uh if it's an homage of two of the most legendary dance music uh pioneers i i'm i've got a question about that a little bit later if we can visit that in a moment ooh, let's um, do it but it's it's interesting what you're saying about social media especially um and if we can just touch on that for a moment because it's great to see how you're using it too um like just the other day I saw you posted up a really lovely cover of 10cc um where you you know and you talked about how you edited this video on your phone and everything and I myself like really enjoy that aspect of social media in fact 
one of the things I love is when people really harness the power that we have with you know the phones and and the the, the platforms that we have. Um, you know, it's it's for some people I can see they struggle with it, and I understand that 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 there is a lot of pressure on one to you know create very high level content that they just post for people to scroll past. But I also see it as an opportunity for you know people like us who are already creating and a way to get like you said almost like meet people where they're at i thought i think that's a really great way of putting it because you know you have an opportunity really to to broadcast you know much like a pirate radio station whatever you want you know whatever you feel represents you best so why not why why wouldn't you yeah absolutely um it's it's interesting because i think everyone i've had this conversation with says that they hate social media you know i don't know if i've really spoken to anyone who's like i love posting on instagram (laughs) you know but i i think we also all realize that it is a platform and and opportunities can come from it essentially all of my biggest collaborators it's all come through social media you know um so it's uh there's a place for it you know and, and it is a blessing i think when you go back to the days of like record labels more or less like owning artists and like having to kind of sell your soul and and you're completely at the mercy of other people you know it we like we've come a long way in that sense like if i have something to say i can just pull up my instagram and say it or twitter or whatever if if I have some kind of creative vision that I want to express, essentially I can do that as well, you know, and using the tools that are at my disposal. So it's, it's pretty like magnificent in that way. But, um, I was, uh, I was actually talking to Niall Rogers about this the other day and I was like, Niall, do you think it's, do you think it's like easier nowadays to be an artist or was it easier back in your day, you know, to, to like break through? And he actually said he feels it's harder nowadays mm. to be heard and to break through because A, it's so oversaturated, but B, you have to be so many things at once in order to break through. Like you can't just make the music. You have to like post this and post that and talk about this and talk about that. And, you know, I think there's ways around that. You know, Frank Ocean has... has showed us that it can be done without having to play the game necessarily but he's kind of like yeah he's his own thing like he's a total alien so i think we can't all be frank unfortunately but um also frank definitely was posting on tumblr and in his own way of of engaging with social media before he decided that he didn't want anything to do with it but like yeah um i i've I feel Niall on, on his point of like, it's oversaturated and there's so much you have to do now. And you, you have to like be a marketeer and like an artist and like uh, like so many things at once, a photographer, like, and in a way that's cool. Like as an artist, I think there's expressiveness to be found in all of these things, you know? And for me at this point, especially it's it's not about it's not necessarily about like what I'm using to express myself. It's just important that I'm expressing, just creating, period. Yes. Um, 
So it's great. There's many avenues to do that now, but it can be overwhelming. And sometimes you just want to be like, fuck this. I just want like, to curl up with a book and listen to Giles Peterson right now. Or like, I don't know. I think um, that's really important too, actually, like having that space and, and you know, I, I, I hear everything what you're saying. In fact, there's a bunch of things I'd like to just to touch on before we go further. But yeah, I, I do actually think creating that space where you're like, I'm not going to do this for a while and I'm just going to focus on the next time I do it, I'll, I'll get to it and, and figure out what that means for yourself, right? Because, you know, I've, I've seen people like Gary Vee saying you should be posting every day and that's just ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. But also to your point, like the cost of getting into being a musician, right? That for a Niles era you know the cost has gone down you know you've got steve lacy as a great example of somebody who made a whole album on their phone you know most of the demo and 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 that was how he worked because he didn't have access to a computer and i thought that was a really brilliant story about somebody who was basically able to create a, a, a uh, an opportunity for themselves with just very limited you know technology and, and additionally um you know with with social media you know you know if you can figure out your your balance of life, you know, for example, Twitch is a, is a, is a really something I, I like to think about a lot. And I want to give a big shout out to the good music Twitch family who gave us a raid and, and DJ Loki, uh, Nina Mendoza, Arlo, Stank Palmer, uh, Special Says, all the homies, Jerris that are, that are in here right now, Jilly Jam, 419, um, Manila Ice, thank you so much for joining. And I think about like the opportunity that we now have and how I'm connected to those people because of shout out DJ Miggy too, you know, the, the fact that, you know, we can broadcast to the world on like this platform, even what we're doing right now, we're broadcasting to the whole world. And the cost of that is, Oh, I mean, it's not nothing, but it's a lot less than starting a radio station and you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it brings, it does bring us together. It does create opportunities for income and, and things like that. Um, but but you know even even in my day to day job I have to do a lot of social media and stuff now too you know and it's like I think just in general the whole industry whether it's you're a musician or you work at in marketing or you work any job there's almost a requirement where people are going to check in and see oh, oh do you have an Instagram how many followers do you have are you active and it's like a resume right yeah even like I'm navigating record labels right now and like it's it's actually um gross how many of these people just care about numbers you know like they they won't even take the time to listen to the music it's like how many followers do you have um not enough okay bye you know yeah. and it's like damn like what happened to the music though yeah <laughs> what happened to artist development that like they don't like people don't want they don't want like someone who's really talented who has everything to offer but doesn't have the numbers to back it up yet like they want people often who have the numbers you know even if the talent isn't there you know even if the music isn't there if they have the following okay let's see yeah and that's, that's so wild to me you know but i think i think uh the proof is in the pudding like followers are one thing but sustainability is another thing and if your if your job is to create music and create art and all you've ever done is make like stupid little tiktok videos you know like i don't know i don't know if if you're going to have the the ability to sustain that and to to really put things forward that that means something um 
So I don't know. It's, but it's interesting. There's a space for all of this stuff. You know, there's yeah. obviously the arts who are extremely talented, who are being heard, who are using these platforms in really clever ways. Steve Lacey, again, is a good example of that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's overwhelming though, I think. Um, and, and I think maybe the best thing that I personally uh, feel like I can do in response to that is, is to just offer my best, you know? It, it's, it helps no one like for me to sit here and whine about, you know, oh, like nobody has talent nowadays. Everyone's an influencer, blah, blah, blah. Like, nah, it's just, it's just how, how the landscape is. I think there's, there's opportunities underneath all of these things that can be used um, to your advantage. So, um, yeah. And in a lot of ways, just being yourself kind of doing your thing usually leads to like people engaging with you. Um, but I don't know. Uh, I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. I think, I think that's it. It's moving very rapidly and it's like, how do you stay on top of it all? Right. Because I, I watched, I was watching this Vox video the other day, which I highly recommend everyone check out. And I'll post in the discord later, as a matter of fact, and it was really about TikTok and the music industry and how TikTok, if you if you have had a very successful song on TikTok or it's been picked up and gone viral, basically it gives you leverage with a record deal. Um, and, you know, kind of what you're saying, unfortunately, it is, you know, metrics based. But to your point, you know, if you have a song and you and you know what you're doing and you have, you know, a good understanding of how the music industry works, which let's be real, is very complicated and <laughs> nuanced. But if you do have your wits about you, you know, you, you have a lot more leverage at the bargaining table with the major label and what they are offering. And you can may, maybe license your song as opposed to just having them do like a 360 or something where they take all your money and you're kind of like exploited in, in you know, more of a way. That this, you know, a more, I guess that's the, the problem with the music industry is a lot of exploitation has happened over the, over the years. So um, it's interesting. It's a, I think this is a fascinating subject and we could probably talk about it for a long time, but um, I'd like to talk about Zach a little bit more. And, um, and, you know, this, if we, if we can, we've, I feel like we've, we've discussed a little bit about the UK versus US music scene, but the, you know, your hometown, you were born in, in Dallas, Texas. And uh, I've, I met you as a matter of fact, in Texas for the first time, South by Southwest 2016, I think I was in Austin. Um, oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, I think I was wearing like military cargo pants with these like green braces to match and like a Kangol bucket hat. I think I think that's when I met you. And like, yeah, I remember it quite vividly. Yeah, yeah you've always been fly. Let's be real. Um, but <laughs> I want to get to the I really want to hear your 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 you know, it's such a rich, you know, Texas as a as a state is such a very rich musically um, part of, of the world. <laughs> and you've also had a, a role in its history as well. Um, and I'd love to just talk a little bit about that and, and you know, the people that inspired you and, and, and helped you, but also, you know, your role in, in, in the early D-Town Boogie days, if, if we can touch yeah. on that. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll start with, like, what D-Town Boogie even is. So the way I usually describe it, for those that don't know, it it's basically what New Orleans bounces to New Orleans, what hyphy is to the Bay, what footwork is to Chicago. 
it's like our form of underground black dance music and it kind of came off the back <clears throat> of like the snap kind of movement in Atlanta and it came off the back of like Soldier Boy and um like that that whole kind of vibe that whole sound <clears throat> it was very much oriented around dancing and what was cool about it is we completely had our own sound our own way of talking our own way of dressing um it was its own world and my first ever gig was DJing at one of the biggest teen nights in Dallas which was the Skadium this like massive skating rink that they would um throw these like dance parties at um and people weren't skating though people were just like there to dance and uh I remember the first night I showed up with like my records this is like kind of like still proto like I think like final scratch <laughs> might have been out and um yeah and I just remember like playing all the things that I was like playing on the radio cuz that's essentially how I got got that job and then like like I was very quickly informed like nah like we get down a little differently here and they be- they began to educate me about this this whole thing called Dallas Boogie and before I knew it like artists were handing me CDs and um and this this skating rink was kind of the the center of that whole movement people would come to the skating rink to showcase the dances to showcase their style a lot a lot of LRG and like Ed Hardy and like leather shorts and leather caps was the thing and uh yeah uh it was its own world man and at that time I was I was mostly active as a DJ and um putting out mixtapes as well as playing this music on the radio and had the ability to to help break records like the Stanky Leg and the one that most people know which is the Dougie um but there's there's a whole story to that particular record most people know the, the Cali Swag District Dougie but there's actually a Dallas Dougie which like inspired that called My Dougie by Lil Will and um yeah uh again it was just i don't know it was its own world i think in hindsight it was uh it was really telling for me because i was sort of um like leading this whole thing you know and what was really ironic about it is like it was a very black oriented movement and it was also a very homophobic movement so to be like a white queer kid at the center of that scene was really strange <laughs> but it was also cool as fuck for that reason and i think i really like had to to prove myself and earn my stripes cuz if you're a white dude stepping up to dj like in a you know in a black club like you got to like really prove yourself <laughs> and it was cool um but still to this day if you go to dallas and you go to clubs you'll see people doing the D-town boogie and it's it's inspired so much a lot of people still don't know about it it's kind of like this hidden gem of the south in a way um Megan the Stallion is a really like beloved artist at the moment around the world you know like i was in germany not too long ago and people were blasting Megan the Stallion which is so crazy to me and Megan is from Houston at the time like when the whole Dallas Boogie thing was happening um 
Houston, Austin, even like Oklahoma and Arkansas were were pretty much mirrors of what Dallas was doing in terms of club music. Wow. So if you went to Houston, you were hearing a lot of Dallas music. There's a guy named Beat King who's from Houston, who's completely in the lineage of Dallas Boogie. And whenever I hear Megan's records, whenever I hear her rap, all I hear is Dallas, you know? And in a lot of ways, she would not be who she is without Dallas, you know? Like that's an integral part of her sound. And, and one of the producers who kind of helped um, craft her sound, Lil Jew, shout out to Lil Jew. He used to come to my parties back in the day. And so I feel like maybe in some weird way I helped create this thread musically of what became Megan Thee Stallion. I don't know. That feels like a bit <laughs> much to say, but it's there. Like there's a, you can draw lines between these things. Um, and I don't really, I don't really, uh, interact with that scene too much nowadays. I'm not in Dallas. I still do like boogie parties every now and again, but if anything, it's just influenced what I'm doing now and the energy of those parties and, and the, the specialness of, of being a part of a scene that has its own identity. Like these are things that I've brought with me, you know, later, later on in, into my career that I think I'm trying to manifest in my own way you know, now with my own music. So it's cool. And, and I highly recommend that anyone who doesn't know about Dallas Boogie, like, please do yourself and your dance floor a favor and look up Dallas Boogie music. Um, maybe I'll make a playlist or something because a lot of this stuff is like only on YouTube. Um, but if you start with like the Stanky Leg and my Dougie and Flex by the Party Boys, you know, you'll be led to the right place. Um, to this day, I'll play Dallas Boogie records and people will come up to me and be like, wow, what's this new song? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is like some old Dallas shit. You know, this is like from 10 years ago. But in a way, it feels like it, it's taken this long for music to catch up to what we were doing. Um, so it's cool. It's cool. I, it, I just love that, though. It's so cool, especially because there's so I, I've had many guests on here we talk about regional stuff we had michael watts from houston talking about like you know screwed and chopped music we've had wajid like i said about techno and we've had mike nasty talking about house music and 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 what that what that all means and it's it's yeah. one of the things that is so fascinating about you know especially the united states is how much regional music means and even more so these days when you like you mentioned earlier people like beyonce and drake are, are making house records but you know that renaissance record there's there's bounce on there. There's New Orleans stuff, and she's from Houston. You know, there's yeah. uh, Memphis rap. There, you know, there's a lot of really. She's touching a lot of like specifically, like you were saying, like black music from America, and it's uh, it's so fresh. And just the other day, my friend was over at Big Jacks, and he's just like, man, this is this is so cool to me. Like he's like the first I put I put on. He's like, I put on, uh, you know, Ren sorry, Renaissance, and the first Renaissance. thing, <laughs> no, I know, I'm just in English. Um, <laughs> um, he's like, the first thing that came on was Princess Loco, Tommy Wright, the third sample, and he's like, this is crazy to me. He's like, I love this music, and you know, he's from Toronto, but he's like yeah. a huge Memphis rap fan, and this is like very specific, like cassette only, you know, music that's now on this mainstream platform and. 
It's incredible. Uh, it's really incredible. And it's like you said, it's so ref- it's refreshing. It might be old, but it's refreshing to a whole generation of kids, even people like me. I never heard that Tommy Wright third song. I'll be honest with you, man. I know who he is, but I didn't know that one. I didn't know <laughs> Princess Loco. So it's like, this is new to me. And I'm, I like to consider myself a musical connoisseur. You know, I spend the time to try and research this stuff. So there's yes. so much uh, music that's been made that we can rediscover and recontextualize that's super interesting. Um, but I, I've, I've actually just pulled up Lil Will, my Dougie, and I, I think we can probably take the opportunity just to give it a, a run um, yeah. for context. It's a biggie beat. My Dougie, my Dougie, my Dougie, my Dougie, my Dougie, my Dougie, my Dougie. She says she like my Dougie. I'm fresh, my Dougie, I'm fresh. My Dougie, I'm fresh, yep. Flyin' in the flyin' in the Dougie. My Dougie, my Dougie, my Dougie, my Dougie, my Dougie, my Dougie. She say she like my Dougie. I'm fresh, yep. My Dougie, I'm fresh. My Dougie, I'm fresh, yep. Flyin' in the flyin' in the bump on the set, yep. We're gonna have to just keep it pretty brief as a, as a quick sampling of what you know Dallas Boogie is there. Um, but you know what's really interesting about that is like yeah, Darrow was Darrow a Dallas MC by any chance? Yes, he sure was. There's a there's a pretty funny video of uh, of me on the set of the Ice Cream Paint Job music video, <laughs> and he's talking about like like how. Like, how do I put it? Like, we were joking around, and he was trying to he was trying to basically take the piss out of me about being so young. And he was like, yeah, you know, White Chocolate, that was my DJ name back in the day, by the way. DJ yeah, White I wanted to get into that. Like, he was like, yeah, man, you know, White Chocolate, you know, he going through that stage. He going through that stage, bro. And I was like, ah, like, this is so embarrassing. Because, you know, like... I was like 13, so yeah, like masturbation was kind of like the best thing in the world at that time. <laughs> and um, but yeah, Darrow, uh is a total Dallas legend. Um, what's interesting is he essentially got his break in California. Like Ice Cream Paint Job was a big record in the Bay before it caught on in Dallas. Um, but he's definitely one of the the main people to come out of the Dallas boogie scene who really like had a career or still does have a career you know um shout out to Duro. i used to mix all of his records back in the day as well like that's how i what like i have to thank Duro in a lot of ways for allowing me to sharpen my like engineering skills um because he would yeah like i mixed entire projects for, for him um and now i can mix my own records you know kind of thanks to Duro in a way so Thanks, 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 Darwin. <laughs> that's incredible, man. I, I mean, that's a huge song. I mean, when I think about that time, you know, it was like what 2000, 2009, 2010. That was like a, a massive song, and uh, yeah, we've even got some people in the Bay. Special says knows all about Ice Cream Paint Job, because yeah, that yeah. that song was even popping here in Canada. I played that one like a lot. It was a big, big tune, and uh, that's incredible that he was like. That's how. That's the person, the artist that you are mixing and mastering. Because I know what you mean. Like, that's where you get your chops up, right? You're someone's got a mixtape they want to drop, and you got to mix and <laughs> get all that stuff going. It's a lot of lot of work. It is a lot of work. At the time, uh, I had lots of time on my hands, so like, I was I was happy to do it, and and I really love that stuff. Like, it's it's time consuming, but 
there's there's a part of me that completely nerds out on frequencies and um, just the the sonics of music and sound because in my opinion that is that is the sort of like uh, fourth element I'll say of music you have harmony you have melody you have rhythm and then you have the mix the sonics of it all and as a lot of people who have ever made music know the mix can really make or break a record and the mix the mix can can be the message itself you're just talking about Tommy Wright the third like those records are so lo-fi you know they're so like raunchy and and because of the way they're mixed like it translates this message of like this is some raw shit you know if those records were really polished it would not have the same feeling to it you know Character. and yeah so it it to me it's it's really like the fourth element like when you bring all of these things together harmo uh, harmony melody rhythm and the sonics the mix and you get all these things you know talking to each other and balanced that's when music to me really comes alive and like really um gets its message across so it's something i think about a lot and i'll purposefully mix records really poorly if i feel like it calls for that or i'll mix it really polished if i feel like it calls for that but um yeah uh nowadays though it's like you have all of these platforms that will mix records for you you have plugins like isotope that basically mix records for you and that's really cool but i think it's important to say here that like you can extract so much of your personality into the mix that these programs and the software cannot do you know and it can't it, it can't create those nuances for you like a lot of times it's the imperfections that create the personality you know and a lot of times the flaws and the things that we think of as errors is actually us coming through it's our personality coming through and for whatever reason like we we want to cover those things up you know we we don't want people to know who we are too much like we don't we want to kind of hide behind this mask and we live in a in a world i think that encourages this mask you know like Let's just get on with our lives, get on with our day, do our job, get it over with. I don't want to show too much of myself, you know, but I think that's a tragedy because I think us being our most raw, our most primal self is the version of us that will change the world, that will actually do the best things, you know, and when we're creating, I feel like the errors, the flaws, the accidents, like these are are the things that are like bringing the the us the me through you know and the more we like encourage that the more original the more interesting the more um characterful our our music becomes and i think as i've grown as as a creator myself and learning from other people namely erica badu who's a total master at perfecting flaw um like it's it's so important it's so important and i can i can notice a night and day difference between the music that i was making trying to be perfect and now the music that i'm making and not giving a fuck you know and it's so much better when you don't give a fuck you know 
Erica would go on and on about how like um, performance is uh, creating a moment and recording is perfecting a moment, you know? And whenever you're like in the moment of something, right? Like whenever you're, I don't know, on a stage DJing, whenever you're buying coffee at Starbucks, whatever it is, like there's so many things that are out of your control that you just have to accept. Like, okay, this speaker might've just gone out. Like maybe this guy fucked up, you know, my mocha latte or whatever, but you just kind of roll with it, you know? And something about rolling with it and embracing, you know, the imperfections and essentially embracing this moment of like life just happening makes it so much better and so much more interesting. And I think whenever we're making music, it is this act of like creating a microcosm of like life in in a in a track, you know, because I, I believe that all the things that we do as creators are only reflections of like the great creator, like the thing that created all of this. And so, yeah, like every tree is different. Every sunset is different. Every flower is different. Like, and it's kind of the flaws of these things that give them their difference in a way. So like when I'm making a song or when I'm helping someone else make a song, like I actively try and like, set up scenarios that will allow for accidents and flaws to happen you know and sometimes like i think it's also important to say you can have too much flaw and too much <laughs> you might make something that's total trash and you play it for people and they're like wow this is absolutely terrible i don't know what you were thinking so there's a balance you know and i think a lot of the mastery of creating art is in is in knowing that balance you know um, knowing when to take away, like that has been the biggest thing, you know, it's the sign of a, of an amateur producer an amateur artist in a lot of ways is someone who just like chucks loads of shit into the track. Like it's just so busy. And in a lot of ways, what they're doing is like trying to cover up the fact that it's not really that great of an idea to begin with, you know, it's like, okay this drum groove isn't so good. So I'm just gonna like overload it with melodies and like pretty sounds to kind of distract from the fact that like the drums aren't really that good, you know? <laughs> and, and it's like, I, I did that for so long, you know? It took me a long time to wake up to my own bullshit. And so like knowing, knowing um, when to take things away is really important. And I think it's actually much harder to make a really powerful piece of music, piece of art, using just a few elements. You know, um, when I think about that, I think about people like Pharrell and the Neptunes. I think about Rick Rubin, you know, I even think about Timbaland who could just use a few sounds and make that shit knock, you know? And like, it's, Ironically, it's, it's usually the ones that are so simple that people really resonate with and really feel, you know? And there's something very raw about that. Like whenever hip hop was coming up and like rappers wanted music that was like raw and like reflected the street life and all these things, like you can, you can draw a line like linear, linearly of like how music progressively got more minimal at least in within like hip hop music. Um, Cause I'm, I'm thinking about like the difference between 
maybe The Breaks by Curtis Blow and like Sucker MCs by Run DMC. <laughs> yeah. Just literally just drums. You know what I mean? And that shit is powerful. And it's like if you if you throw the breaks on, people are definitely gonna dance. If you throw sucker MCs on, people are definitely gonna dance, but it's gonna be like, ugh. <laughs> like the breaks doesn't make me go, ugh. It just makes me like, yeah. But sucker MCs is like, ugh. And that's because it's like it's raw, it's minimal, it's simple, and it's powerful. Even like in art in like um like logos, for example, it's usually the most simple logos that we like worship. You know what I mean? Like, think about the Apple logo, how simple that is. Even think about the cross. You know what I mean? Like one of oh, the most yeah. simple, you know, things you could ever draw. And like people have died in the name of that exact <laughs> simple. So it's I don't know, there's there's something to be said about simplicity and minimalness, but also doing it in a way that has layers. Um, I don't want to go too much down a rabbit hole here, but I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll end this particular thing with this. So again, talking to, to Niall, um, it's the first conversation we ever had, which was about creating music that was simply complex, meaning that on its surface, it's, it's easily digestible, right? Like you hear it and you feel it and you love it. You can play it for your kids. You can play it for your grandmother. Everyone loves it, right? But if you want to dig deeper, you can. And to me, some of the greatest examples of that would be like Stevie Wonder or Michael Jackson or Prince, who could make music that felt effortless, you know? But meanwhile, there's some really complex like jazz progressions going on. The way the melody is moving is so like, unorthodox the arrangement is just strange you know but like in the beatles as well oh my god the beatles absolutely like eleanor rigby what <laughs> like a whole fucking orchestra doing these crazy changes with this weird ass arrangement but you're like singing singing along to the whole thing it's so weird and i love that you know and that's the stuff in my opinion that is so hard to do i think it's easier to make a really heady jazz record that no one understands. Likewise, it's it's very easy to make like some basic trap shit that is just regurgitating the same things everyone has, has already done. Like, so it's like when you find the sweet spot between simple and complex, like that's where things get really magical in my opinion. Would you say that's where you find your character? Absolutely. Yeah. Cause yeah, I think like identity people, people are, are exactly that, you know, I think again, music is, is like a reflection of yourself a lot of times. And as much as we want to say like, Oh, she's a basic bitch or like he's this or that, like people are complex, you know, and we all have this ability to, uh, to present ourselves in a very digestible way, you know, I think it's it's a skill we all kind of like have to learn maybe is that like when you meet someone you kind of want to present a part of yourself that is easily digestible and likable and lovable but underneath that you know we're all dealing with really complex things and complex emotions and life is is a complex thing the whole act of being here on this earth and breathing air every day is 
is complex, but it's also so simple, you know? Um, so making art, making music, creating DJ sets as well, you know, like to reflect that, you know, that's that to me is where you begin to tap into something really powerful. Like, okay, in the case of a DJ set, it's like being able to play records that people know and understand paired with records that people don't know, but you know, you feel are important to contribute. And the way that you pair these things together, I think they call it sandwiching. <laughs> yep, um, the sandwich technique. I'm familiar. Like, <laughs> yeah, like there's there's a total art in that. And the way that you do it and the records that you, cho you choose to do it with shows who you are, you know, and shows your your level of understanding of like how how this sort of um, concept of simplicity and complexity and um, yeah, like how that all works together. Like I'm, I'm kind of losing, losing words at, at this point to describe it, but like, yeah, I think finding that, that sweet spot to make something that's like, uh, I don't know, maybe it's like, I don't know, maybe it's like a birthday cake. <laughs> you got the frosting on top. And you can just like, mm, like take the frosting, eat it. And it's like, yeah, this is great. But then when you cut into the cake, you know, it's like more time went into that. Like you had to like bake this cake and like create all these things and like put the eggs in, put the sugar in. And like there's there's all these different things that went into that, you know, but it's um, like the foundation of it all that keeps it a structure yeah, together. Like yeah, the frosting can't exist without the cake. <laughs> Without the cake, you know what I'm saying? That's great. The frosting on. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So that's, yeah, maybe maybe that one will make sense. I don't know. That's great, though. And I, look, there's so much, man, that was like so, so fantastic. Like everything you said, man, I, it was like, I was with that for the whole ride. It was fantastic, Zach. There's a couple things we got to talk about. Um, specifically, a lot of the people that you talked about, I, I thought was, it was really interesting how you started off talking about mixing being like this really important part of musical composition and, and expression. And, and all the artists that you talked about, Stevie Wonder, Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones, uh, Prince, uh, yep. Neptune's Timbaland, uh, etc. They're all very, they've all got very unique sounds, but like you said, they also are very mm -hmm. good at like making very simple music. And I think about the common thread between a lot of them, someone like Pharrell, you know, with hip hop music, like sucker MCs, he's got songs like drop it like it's hot, which are really like, just mouth noises and like static and the drums. There's obviously some killer harmony in there, but the main meat of the beat is just very raw, you know, and that's very Sucker MCs. That's really hip hop. That's really tough. He's also got songs like You Don't Have to Call, but, you know, Prince also has songs like Kiss, which are just like, just a drum beat, same kind of vibe, right? Um, you know what I mean? And But all of these things, like you said about the mix, they have a real character to them, you know, and whether it's, you know, the default Triton sounds with no effects that the Neptunes like to use so well yeah. and were often criticized about, you know, uh, yep. or, you know, the the Prince's use of like the DMX uh, Oberheim or Lindrum, not too sure, don't quote me on that, the way he used that and then he detuned the, the, you know, the rim shots and flanged it out was like, that was like not how you were meant to use that machine. It was meant to sound like a, a rim shit, rim shot, not not like whatever he made it turn into. And yep. it's like, 
you know, he broke rules. People did that. The Beatles even, you know, they're mixing George Martin, etc. They were doing crazy things. Thriller had the best musicians on it. But again, like you said, it's like that simple complexity thing you were talking about with Nile Rodgers. It's like, it's the foundation. They know all this stuff and there's elements of like musical virtuosity in there. But it's still like, I want to connect with the most people with the most raw rhythm that everyone can relate to for, you know, for, for timing, let's just get straight to the point. And I love that. And I think that resonates with so many people. And I think it's so great how you talk about that, but the Mm -hmm. mix is the part, right? It's the thing that, that separates all this. I think I I want to say this real quick, Matt. Um, One of the most powerful things that I've learned, not only in mixing, but just making music, even just speaking period, is always focus on the feeling and communicating the feeling. If, if like EQing the snare drum for an hour doesn't lead to more feeling, then it's not worth it, you know? Like use that as a guide because at the end of the day, people care about music that makes them feel something. Even if it makes them feel bad, yeah, it's make them feel something and that's powerful. You know, I actually love it when people say things like, oh, I hate that, you know, because it's created such a feeling in them that leads them to, to hate something, you know, just as much as it could lead them to love it. And the mix has a lot to do with the feeling, the texture, you know, of a record. And even down to how you speak, how you sing, how you play chords, like this all leads to a feeling so letting that be the guide is so important. You know, I think, again, people get so caught up on like, is 50 hertz sitting right? Is like 3K <laughs> resonating too much? Like sometimes letting 3K ring the fuck out is like the best thing you can do for a record. I've heard like songs, especially from like the Memphis rap era in the 90s. Like there's so many like, like no-nos like mixing (laughs) no-nos in that music but if you took those no-nos out it would become so boring you know and it would lose its its feeling and its flavor so like mixing with that in mind whether it's mixing a record or actually mixing as a dj um or writing a beat whatever it is like speaking to your lover (laughs) whatever it is like put feeling first and it will lead you to the right place. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know what? It's, it's, it's crazy. Like so many of my favorite music river, musical heroes and revolutionaries have literally become that way by doing the wrong thing or no-nos. You know, like I'm thinking King Tubby, Mad Lib, all of these people, all of the music, you know, Larry, um, Larry Heard, you know, all these people are using things in ways that they were not made for and recontextualizing yeah. them. I mean, it's, it's almost like you're better off doing the wrong thing <laughs> completely right right completely i'm like every time i get a new piece of software i'm the first thing i'm looking for is how to use it in the wrong way (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) and like and that's where personality comes through that's where invention comes through that's where like new ways of hearing and and being and seeing come through like the thing i always think about is the tr303 and how like that yeah, yeah so like Shout out to DJ Pierre, like how that that device was essentially, if I understand correctly, created to be um, 
a counterpart to musicians who didn't have a bass player. So, like, if you were, like, say, a, a bar musician or something and you only played guitar but you wanted, like, a bass line or something, like, you'd buy the TR-303. I believe that was the whole selling point, right? But thank God, like, DJ Pierre, a.k.a. Future, like, found that box and just cranked that bitch all the way up and was like, whoa, what is that, you know? And was crazy enough to put that on a record you know, and I believe the story is that Ron Hardy played acid tracks um, and it cleared the dance floor the first time, but he kept playing it. And like by the third or fourth time, people were losing their minds, you know, to that record. And and that would have never happened if DJ Pierre like was literally just like only following the manual of the TR-303. Right. And being, oh, like it's only it's only for musicians. I guess I can't use it like <laughs> nah, like. Pushing things past their limit, that's where the where the magic happens. David Bowie often talks about this and there's an interview where he says, um, like, find the edge and then take two steps past that edge and that's about where you wanna be, you know? And um, yeah, pushing the limits is so important. It's so important. That's so. That's really great to hear, man. Um, I, I actually want to um, just go on a bit of a tangent now, but it is kind of related because the one of the first things I ever heard uh, that you made was um, a, a remix for Erica Badu, "Bag Lady." Uh, it was I, I looked it, I looked it up on on SoundCloud. I've got it. I've got it right here actually, uh, from seven years ago now. Um, here Ooh. we go. But th I know this, there's a lot of stories to this, to this record, and I really want to get into it. I do want to play it first, and then I want to get into the story behind it. But I also just want to quickly talk about, like, just your, you know, we're, since we're talking about mixing, I listened to this song for the first time today. For it's been it's been a while, I'll be honest with you, and that's just I guess because there's so much music to listen to. I was listening to all your new music, but I listened to this, oh. this song again, and I was just listening to it on headphones, and I was like, oh my gosh, this mix is so crazy like huh. and and i really want everyone who's who's watching right now just to i mean i think we can we can let this one run um because it's just just such an interesting mix you did zach so um don't, okay. don't you don't have to say anything about it we'll just listen to it and then we can talk about the what what became of this so let's let's go let's do it Chopin. 
that as much as i did um thank you so much uh quick real quick thank you so much to decap music drums that not creator who gave us a big raid during that song um we're talking with zach witness uh the creator of that song the producer of that song right now um zach i know this song um was the start of a lot of uh big things for you as well um i'd, I'd love to hear how it how it um how it started okay um yeah, that, okay. So basically, I graduated high school. Senior year was like the worst year of my life. Like seriously, terrible, terrible year. And it put me into this like really bad depression. Like one of the lowest points of my life. And Erica Badu's music became extremely important to me. Like I'd been listening to Erica since I was maybe six years old. But at that point, her music was like this kind of spiritual guide. It kind of like kept me grounded, kept me going in a lot of ways. And um, so, yeah, just trying to keep myself active and, and, and also like engaged just with life, period. I started working on this remix of Bag Lady and it was never meant to be released, honestly. It was something I was doing as a form of therapy because Bag Lady, the song, is about letting go of baggage, you know, in its most, like, simple form. And that time was, was all about letting go of baggage, so it was very, like, symbolic of that whole point in my life. So I worked on, on that remix for three years. Wow. And again it wasn't about releasing it it was it was just about waking up every day and working on something and, and having something to look forward to you know because at that point the idea of happiness was so like like impossible to me like to the point where i felt guilty for feeling happy which felt so crazy you know and working working on you know, this remix was something for me to like, yeah, to, to feel happy about or to just 
at the end of the day be like oh, okay i did this thing today and this makes me happy you know so that's why there's so many kind of twists and turns in a lot of ways because um i think all the different sounds all the different textures all the different kind of moments in that track are representative of like all these different twists and turns that i was going through over the course of three years um and maybe it's a bit of me just like overindulging and like and nerding out on on music and production a little too much i don't know but i think by the end of that that kind of three-year sort of cocoon period if if you like um i realized like oh my god like i have to meet erica like i have to meet this person who is basically like brought me through hell and back and i i started like kind of planting seeds to make that happen so she's from dallas and most of her band is from dallas so like i got to know her band they do this like open mic night every week in dallas i got to know them i got to know like all the people that surrounded her you know and um and then i was like okay like like the soil is is like fertile now like i can like plant like the big seed now which was that remix and i realized that if she heard it maybe just maybe she'd be into it enough to like want to do something together and and the dream was to do, just do a song with her you know but i think because i've been manifesting that dream for so long and building up so much energy around this dream like when that seed grew and that that flower sort of like bloomed oh my god it was just like beyond anything i could have ever expected it wasn't just a single flower it was an entire garden you know and off the back of that remix she asked me to do ironically another remix for her which was the hotline bling remix and that was so crazy that she then asked me to produce an entire project for her which became but you can't use my phone and what's even crazier is that we did it all in the same room that i produced that remix on that i used to listen to her music in when i was six years old we made the whole thing in my bedroom studio at my mom's house and it was it was completely like a miracle completely surreal and completely full circle one of the most like full circle experiences maybe i've ever had in my life um but also man erica is just cool like that like like she was like do you have a studio i was like i have a bedroom studio at my mom's house she was like cool i'll do it there and next thing i know she's pulling up in her porsche license plate said she ill <laughs> and comes in we knock out the remix and like man like i can't say enough about her she's she's really like a second mother and she's taught me so much not only through her art but as a person you know she's influenced me like in in the way that i think about the world in the way that i treat people in the way that i carry myself and i don't think i would be on this path to to establishing myself as an artist if it weren't for her cuz working with her was like a total like artist 101 like boot camp because um i haven't really talked too much about this but after we did that project but you can't use my phone i was her personal engineer for 2 years so oh, all wow. the music that she put out prior or sorry post that project um i was involved in whether it was mixing or producing or helping write 
lyrics, whatever it was, like, I was just involved. Like, I was just there to help her in whatever way she needed to be helped. And it was incredible because I got to be a fly on the wall. I got to be with her day in and day out and um, got to meet really cool people because of that. Um, and, yeah, it it has laid the foundation in a lot of ways for, like, what I'm working to do now, like, with my own music. And, yeah, um, shout out to Erica Badu. Shout out to Mama. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that story is just so insane. Like, it's a dream story, dude. Like, I don't know how to describe it. I know, and I don't know it probably happened as you've told the story before, but I just, I'm so glad we got this, you know, we got you on to, to talk about it and hear it from you from the, from your experience because it is literally like a dream come true. You know what I mean? Like, it sounds to me like the way you've manifested it, it just worked out perfectly. It's, it's what, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a dream. Yeah. And I think it's important here to say that like, a lot of that was was conscious as much as it was the universe you know i think people like to hear this story of like i woke up one day and erica badu <laughs> slid into my dms you know what i mean but there was so much groundwork that was put in and i consciously manifested that like you know the law of attraction whatever you want to call it like i wrote that down you know i had a mood board like I thought about this every day. I met people involved with her. Like I put in the groundwork to allow that that dream to come true. And I don't know, the way I experience life and manifestation and making things happen for yourself, I believe it is a two-way street. I believe like you kind of have to do your part in order for the universe to do its part. Like, or maybe another analogy is like, uh, uh, you know, you can lead the horse to the river, but you can't make the horse cross the river unless mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I'm going to cross this river. You know what I mean? And um, it's kind of like the universe might lead you to that water, but it's up to, to you to cross it and, and get your feet wet. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I don't know. It's I think we have more power than maybe we often think we do well know? i think and that's so what's beautiful about it is the intention right like i think a lot of us will go through life and want to do things and we have we have a small amount of intention but to commit to that intention and i think music is one of these kind of industries where you have to have so much intention and you have to really follow through if you want to have success and in a lot of ways by following through you beat out the competition by not yeah. giving up you know and i know that's it's not going to work for everybody like i think like that's what's really great about you know you talking about it in a very realistic way is like you know i really had to do my work you know and and yeah. i do think that's a really important part like you are obviously a talented producer you obviously put your work in djing learning production mixing albums for Duro. You know, you've you cut your teeth, you know, and all those yeah, experiences yeah. led up to this thing. And when that thing presented itself to you in that way, you were ready, right? Like you were 100% ready. Because, yeah, obviously she would not give someone the time if they didn't have the chops to back it up. Like because she's such a phenomenal yeah. artist, like she's one of the yeah. best artists of our generation of the modern music, like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, like I everyone I should agree with that. It's like a, it's just she's phenomenal, and 
I, I, mm. The other part of this, though, I think is really interesting to me, especially uh, since I've, I, that's around that time when I met you. And I, I was like, oh, Zach, he, he made the record. Like, I love this record. And I think everyone in this chat who knows that record probably loves it, too. It's a phenomenal record. Like, it's one of my favorite Erica Badu records. But my oh, whole wow. thing... My whole thing is, is like right after that, you released, um, where, where is it? I actually have the note of it. Um, you released your, your own uh, record with Alpha Pop, Daddy Kev, um, Rise of an Out, uh, Electric Revival, Rise of an Outcast Nation, uh, yeah. which is also like an incredible record. Um, and I really want everyone who, who isn't familiar with that to go give it a listen. It's in, actually in the, the title unscripted playlist, um, a couple of the tracks from there, because that's also a phenomenal record. Um, and and you you didn't just live in the shadow of, of an artist, which is something that a lot of people would have just been totally fine with, like just being Erica Badu's engineer and sometimes yes. producer, right? Like you've really leveled up. I have to thank uh, Sir Three Stacks, Andre Benjamin Three Thousand, for that one because uh, he was he was the reason I made that, and he was the reason that I put it out. So while working with Erica. Um, Andre also, you know, joined us. Uh, there's a record called Hello that we wrote together and the sessions for that record. Oh, my God. Like, again, like one of the craziest moments ever in my life, like till the day I die, will be Erica Badu and Andre 3000 in my bedroom at my mom's house working on music and my mom like knocking on the door you know, to like check in on us and like see if we wanted tea and cookies and stuff. And like, um, just completely surreal. Like there's this image of like Andre in the corner of my bedroom playing my guitar that will like forever be burned into my mind. Cause it was just so surreal. And I just remember like, like, so the first time we ever worked together, he showed up alone. Erica wasn't there. Erica just called me and was like, Hey, um, Andre's coming over. I'm like, um, okay. <laughs> and this man literally showed up at my doorstep. Like I opened the door and it's Andre 3000. He's like, what's up, man? I'm like, wh like what? And I don't know. I just remember like looking at him and like, like I don't really get this with too many people, you know, like the whole starstruck thing, but I'm like looking at him and I'm like, damn, like he really has like a mole on his nose and everything. Like, this is like the real dude. And, um, I don't know, super surreal moments, but similar to Erica, he's influenced me immensely. You know, like I have really, really specific memories of listening to Stankonia when I was maybe nine years old or something and just feeling so like seen might be the word, like feeling like, oh, this is my music. Like this is the world that I can really exist in. And it was like, like Bombs Over Baghdad was like my favorite record for so long and I'd play it on repeat. And so my my sort of thanks, my thank you to Erica for like helping her uh, or helping me become who I was, was helping her, you know, create what you can't use my phone. So I felt like I also needed to say thank you to Andre, but in a way that really meant something. So I made this like outcast, like flipped like this outcast flips kind of like ep and i gave it to him for his birthday and um he listened to it and he's like man like you need to put this out and i was like 
yeah? He's like, yeah, you need to put it out. And I was like, okay. So I'm like, if if Andre 3000 is telling me to put out some music, like I should probably do that. So I spent the rest of that summer finishing the record and eventually putting it out. And um, yeah, it's it's kind of been like the start in a way. Like it's the first thing I put out as Zach Witness. Um, and it was made during uh, 2016 when a lot of like police brutality and just a lot of like racial shit was going on in America. And I think a lot of that found its way into the music and, and that record is very much about kind of um, that time and just reflecting the energy of, of what I was feeling during that time and what I felt was important to say. Um, but yeah, I got a shout out to Three Stacks for that because yeah, he was the reason uh, for the season. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a it's such a great record too. Like the the track with John Bapp, like it was it was really cool for me too. Hearing your production also mature, because you obviously yeah. were playing a role for for Erica. You know, she was obviously driving that that ship with you, right? Yeah. Uh, would yeah. you actually? At, uh, while we're here, I feel like it's interesting. I'd, I'm just really interested to know about collaboration with somebody like that versus doing something for yourself, like. You know, there when you work with an artist, often you need to kind of create space and 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 kind of compromise. Maybe that's not the best word, but it's a collaborative process. But you know, when you're doing stuff, you have to really like do it for you, and and that there's, that's a huge difference. And sometimes that can be completely paralyzing for people. But yeah, you know, you you working with with Erica, how how was that? Was that like a did you have to create a lot of space for her, or was she very receptive to your ideas as well? Um. Yes, <laughs> to, both? to all of it. Okay, to all of it. So, obviously, I had to create a lot of space. Like when I started working with Erica, my life became Erica. You know, luckily, I love Erica so much. You know, I was I was willing to do that. And at the time, I was, I was trying to like prove myself, establish myself, like earn my stripes. I didn't have much to my name as a producer at that point. Like I produced for some rappers in Texas, but that was really it. I was more known, at least in Dallas, as a DJ more than anything. So in a lot of ways, it didn't make sense for Erica to work with, with someone like me. But again, Erica just being so cool, she was like, nah, like, I just like your vibe. Like, let's, let's do something. Um, and I think me being completely in, in awe of that whole experience and in awe of her allowed me the ability to justify um, carving out so much time and energy for her because that project was like produced by me, it was mixed by me, it was mastered by me, it was recorded by me, you know, like essentially the team was her and I. There was one other writer that she flew in named It's Routine from Georgia to like help write some of the records but um yeah i think the reason it kind of happened was because we could move very quickly and very efficiently because like she didn't need a team of people like i could literally show up at her house she could come to my house and we could knock it out there was there was moments where like we were recording vocals and she was giving her I think at the time five-year-old daughter a bath so it was like i was completely in uh I was completely a squirrel in, in her world, 
you know what I mean? And um, I was okay with that because I was learning so much and I was growing so much and like, and as you know, like in music and most things, if you have like one great thing to say about yourself, the door opens up, you know, like all of a sudden doors are opening for me because it was like, oh yeah, I produced this album for Erica Badu. Okay, come on in, you know? So that was important, but I think it was also very telling that like, I'm really passionate about my own creative visions. And there was definitely times where there was some clashing and it was like, nah, like I really feel like it should be this way or nah, I really want to get this particular idea out, you know? But this is her world and her artistry and I'm just, I'm just there to help her fulfill that, you know? And I think I was very young and kind of hot-headed and a bit green, so <laughs> I didn't understand that. I was like, no, it's gotta be my way, you know? Um, but again, her just being super cool, she, I think she recognized that and was willing to work with that and not see it as something to, you know, to, to be off-putting, but more an opportunity to, to teach. And so she, you know, took the time to really show me like, okay, it's not always about like, you know, you, or it's not always about this more egotistical thing, you know? And um, yeah, so- That's such a gem told, though, hey? That like, that's such yeah, a totally. great lesson. And she even told me, and this is coming from Erica, man. She was like, no, you're an artist. I know you're an artist, but right now you're producing my record. So you need to produce my record. It was, that was like, that was the energy. But it was also like, wow, I'm I'm an artist. And whoa, like, Erica, why do you think I'm an artist? Okay. So it was like a bit like, it was bittersweet at the same time. But um, yeah, I, looking back on it, every single one of those experiences, even the, the more hot headed moments were all truly golden, like, I learned so much and I grew so much. And I think the growing typically only happens when there's some growing pains, right? Like if it was all just smooth sailing, like I would not have grown. So I just want to like, yeah, I just want to say thank you to Erica, wherever you are in the universe for like working with me and working, you know, through like those moments to, to kind of get to the other side of it. And, uh, yeah, it. I think it's it's both brought us into like this new era of who we both are. Because I think, but you can't use my phone. Kind of brought her into the modern age in a way, like into the twenty first century, if you want to say that. And a lot of like younger generations know about Erica because of that project. But likewise, she's brought me into my own like um, era of artistry and and pursuing that. And it's still early days for me, but. Yeah, it's it's a very strong foundation, and, and I think she's passed gems on to me that um, are just like priceless, like irreplaceable. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe the thing to take away from that particular thing is like, don't be an egotistical bitch, <laughs> but also like know that it's a process and and be willing to stay open to um the opportunities to grow and and maybe if you're on the other side of that maybe if you're working with someone who's quite difficult you know maybe it's because they're actually really insecure and they're trying to figure it all out and maybe they just want someone to say it's okay like we're gonna get through this together like you know i think both sides of it whatever 
whatever perspective you're looking at it from like i think people just want to to do things that they love and that they can appreciate and be proud of you know and yeah um i don't know um she truly is a master teacher she is yeah she completely is um now let's talk we were talking about outcast uh right um rise of a nation um and then I was I just wanted to talk about how you started your that was the first time I heard you heard you start playing with more up tempo music. Um yeah. and 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 when one of the other interviews I, I read before we jumped on this call was you talked about, you know, growing up in Texas and being a hip hop DJ, but simultaneously also being very influenced by house music and rave culture and drum and bass and, 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 and music like that. Um can you just tell me like what got you into making house music? Mm. Um, ooh. okay, so I've been listening to house since I was a kid. I think the record that actually got me into house was Dirty Vegas. Um, there's a song called Days Go By, which was like my favorite record, maybe when I was six years old or something. Um, so it's always been there, but you know what? I think it's actually dubstep that <laughs> me to house. I'm not even going to lie. When I was a teenager involved in the in the Dallas Boogie movement, I was completely living in a hip-hop bubble. This is before streaming. YouTube was very young. MySpace was the thing. So it was like people were still in their bubbles. If you're a hip-hop kid, you're, you're a hip-hop kid. If you're a house kid, you're a house kid. It was weird if you were like listening to house and hip-hop at the same time. And um, so I was very much in a bubble. But then I discovered dubstep and... It was like at a similar tempo to music that I was playing. A lot of Texas music tends to be around like 70 beats per minute or 140, whatever you want to say. Um, so I I could kind of relate to it in that way. And also I was getting into production and, you know, the, the sounds they were making was just so incredible to me. I was like, how is how is this even possible? It completely flipped my interpretation of like what music is on its head um and i became obsessed totally obsessed and that's really for me the gateway into electronic music and really like loving electronic music um because it was through dubstep that i got into drum and bass and through drum and bass got into house and like all the subgenres of of those genres um so there was a period where I was going by different aliases, making different genres. I had like a dubstep alias, I had a house alias, might have had a drum and bass alias. Um, but I think house ended up being the one that like I really, really resonated with and, and came most effortlessly, you know. And I think also as I was coming to terms with like my sexuality at that time, house music obviously is in the lineage of queer people, gay men from Chicago creating that, that genre. And like, it just felt like a safe space for me. You know, it felt like a place where I could go even just in my headphones to kind of be free and, and be myself. Um, and then of course, when I, when I was old enough to start going to raves and I think at the time, like dead mouse and Wolfgang Gartner, were like the thing, which is, you know, a whole different strain of house music, electro house. But um, yeah, I, I fell in love with it. And 
also like dancing is is a huge part of my foundation before i was doing music i was a dancer i was doing ballet i was doing tap when i was seven i was like a little b-boy spinning on my head and shit and house is some of the greatest dance music you could ever wish to dance to and to hear and to experience so that also really spoke to me um so i think all of all of those things combined allowed me to really find an identity with house music and and also find a community you know in house in house culture that i felt i could relate to and and be a part of um so i think yeah that's that's essentially what what led me to kind of pledging allegiance to house music i don't know but i don't i don't make house music exclusively and i think the dance music that i make is is very much influenced but maybe not like i can't claim to make like pure house music necessarily but the spirit of it runs through my veins 100 percent. yeah i think that's so cool though like um you know especially house music you know yeah, it's a safe space. It's it's about dancing. It's got its legacy and, you know, the the queer culture, LGBTQ+ community, uh black music as well. Um and it's great that like there's artists like yourself and also people like Katrinata that are not like definitive house music. You know, I don't even know if like mm. Katrinata would identify his music as house music. Um mm. but there's obviously like influence there and there's also like yourself, you know, someone who comes from hip hop music, which um, and actually, in your in your uh, interview with Clash Magazine, you, you kind of really talked a lot about this, which was really informative for me when I was, you know, researching to, to talk to you about to, uh, things today. Just, you know, how, you know, there's obviously been a, a great deal of homophobia within the hip-hop community. And if you love that yeah. music, it's nice to have a, a escape from that from times, you know, and, and House does afford that kind of escape from that fear, I guess, that would be. I mean, I can only assume would be would be ever present in that hip hop community, right? Absolutely, and I've I've been deep in both sides of of that equation, being in hip hop clubs, being in house clubs, like, and being a part of both of those communities. And um, I feel like hip hop is, in a way, the music of the ego, and house is the music of the heart. I think a lot of hip hop tends to be more about like bravado and uh it's it's kind of like motivational music but it's like street <laughs> motivational music like get out and get the bag and there's a real beauty in that like when there's days where i really want to like make shit happen i will throw throw on like gucci Mane or like lil boosie or three six mafia or whatever you know but like when when i want to feel connected and want to feel a part of something bigger house is definitely that you know and in terms of like the homophobia and, and all of that man people are just fooling themselves like there's been really really pivotal pivotal gay queer whatever you want to say um people a part of building the foundation you know of hip-hop music um there's a guy named john roby who actually wrote all the synth parts on Planet Rock by Africa Bambada and like he's gay and he's queer. Like there's there's definitely people and there's a lot of people who are in the closet, you know, which you don't hear about, you know, a part of that scene. I just think it's terrible that like for whatever reason, 
this whole kind of culture of like overcoming being above uh, kind of sh- the whole like bravado sort of thing has led to like seeing gay people as lesser than or as weak. Um, and maybe that's, you could say that's a side or a benefactor of like toxic masculinity or something that, sure. you know, that to be a real man, you can't be with another man, you know? And this is something people have argued probably since like the dawn of humanity or something. Um, but what's cool is, is now we're seeing within hip hop culture that beginning to change and people's minds beginning to open up through people like Frank, through people like Tyler, the creator, Kevin Abstract, etc., Lil Nas X. Um, there's definitely still ways to go, but it feels cool that now there is some degree of space for that, you know? And if anything, it's more like if you don't look a little bit queer and a little bit androgynous or whatever, like people aren't really fucking with you. Just so weird to me, but in a way it's, it's what's always happened. Like even in, in the eighties with the new wave scene, it was like really cool to look kind of gay, kind of queer, kind of androgynous, like, to wear Prince. makeup. Prince, absolutely. Yeah. And Prince is a whole world unto himself, but like, yeah, um, it feels like things are a little more balanced, maybe, you know, that people can kind of just be who they want to be and there's a space for it. Um, yeah, and I think house has been a huge, huge factor in that, you know, in, in helping open people up. Because um, house really is this thing about like, welcoming in everyone you know it's not just like you have to be this way or think this way it's like if you just love life period like come and dance you know that's what to me what house is saying and um the fact that we have people like drake and people like beyonce tapping into that is incredible you know in a way it doesn't even matter that you know maybe some of those records aren't really the best records there's definitely some good ones but in my opinion, like, they're, they're like, uh, they're kind of like McDonald's Happy Meal versions. It's of, an intro, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, it's not the deepest music you've ever heard. You know, in a lot of ways, it's, it's completely distilling what that is down to, like, something that's more digestible to people who don't know about it. Um, and I don't know. I think despite what my you know, personal views of that music, those albums are, what it is doing is opening up a huge door, you know, and introducing people, as you say, to to this whole world, which is great. Because I think, yeah, the world could absolutely benefit from like house music, you know, and, and the unif- unification that it enables. Um, and what's also cool is it feels like hip hop and house are beginning to, um, speak to each other and to kind of melt together, you know? And um, yeah, that feels long overdue as well. I know in in the late 80s, there was like hip house in Chicago, like Fast Eddie and all these guys. Some of that stuff is so corny. It's like (laughs) corniest music you've ever heard in your life. But it feels like this time around, like it's, it's maybe got a bit more grounding to it. Um, and I think, again, like music 
in a lot of ways a lot of ways serves a function and like i think house and hip-hop colliding really serves this purpose of like where people's heads are at now where culture is at now of of this age of like equality and like embracing your authentic self and like you know all of these things um some of some of this stuff it, it gets a bit cringy but like i think it is reflective of of like where things are hopefully moving which is like into a more i don't know level playing field you know um how do you feel about those records by the way i love them man i'm gonna be straight up with you like i mean my i've loved house music for a long time actually you know like and and a lot of the music the house music i loved kind of came through a distilled kind of hip-hop lens you know and whether those were introductory records to me people like daft punk armored van halden you know even armored van halden had a track with like common you know and and that that track was like i was like when I first heard it, I was like, yo, you can rap on house music? Like, mind-blowing. And when, you know, yep. as a DJ, um, especially, you know, as a hip-hop DJ, it was really not okay to play house music. Like, I got clowned. I remember when I played, like, a house song at one point. Oh, yep. were you into the, I thought you, you I thought you were into Pete Premier and Pete Rock. I was like, does that mean I only listen to that music? Because, like, Dilla was sampling, you know, roulette records and house music. Like, great. It's from Detroit, dude. Like, yeah. but... You know, yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is like, yeah, like it's like you said, it's long overdue. Um, as I've got older, you know, I've really started to understand the history of the music. And I think this is the thing that's really important about music. Um, and it comes up quite often on this podcast is just like how important it is that music kind of can communicate a, an idea or uh, open your mind to another perspective of somebody who is totally unlike you. And, and help you understand whatever their perspective of life is. And, you know, so often as a white, straight man, I don't get that perspective of, you know, I don't have that firsthand perspective of, you know, the people that the music I listen to. So when I listen to the music, I understand more intimately and understand, you know, their perspective through the way that they're, con- you know, communicating through music. And that ultimately opens my mind. That op- ultimately it, it, it comes in, uh, while I'm open and receptive to hearing something, and often right. it is, yeah, by by gay the gay community or the black community, or it could be anyone, you know, Asian people. All the music I listen to is from different parts of the world and by different people. But when it comes through music, it's so much more impactful, and that's really helpful for me. It's helpful for the world, and you know, house music specifically is like that freedom. That feeling is just so intoxicating, and you know, I th- I see why. I see why gospel music is so effective, you know, at church, you know, because it's like spiritual and, and yeah, yeah. F- for all the things you're saying, man, like, yeah, I think those things are really important to happen. Um, whether they're like the best and most, ep- ep- like most uh, encompassing house records of all time. No, that's kind of a, a pretty impossible task to be honest, you know, and that just has to happen naturally. And that's also going to be a very objective thing. Everyone is going to have their own thing that they love about a song that's what art is. So, you know, I, I, it's not my place to say what's right or wrong. It's just, this is how I feel about those records. And that was a long winded answer to your question. <laughs> no, that was an incredible answer. And I think it only lays, lays, uh, the foundation now for like people to, to show up to Marshall Jefferson gigs and really feel that music, you know, which is beautiful. And 
I think that's only a good thing. You know, I think people can only benefit from from house music. And uh, I remember Kanye West saying in an interview like many years ago, he was like, to be gay is the opposite of hip hop, you know? And I think, you know, people like Wu-Tang Clan especially were very clear about that, you know? Um, but house, house seems like this maybe leveling factor, you know, because what's crazy is house has so many of the same roots as yeah. hip hop. And the way that it came about is pretty much the exact same. It came from like a very oppressed, like working class community needing a voice, needing an outlet, you know, and it came out of like a need, you know, and maybe the only difference is that instead of like African-American people, you know, in the Bronx, it was like African-American men in Chicago, gay men, you know, creating this music. And, you know, I, there's not, to me, there's, it's same soil, same soil, but just maybe different, like strains of a flower or something, but they have a lot in common, you know, and there's a lot of house music that's really raw, really like rugged and, and lo-fi and gritty, you know, but the thing is like, it's not making you do this, it's making you do that. <laughs> and like, that's a beautiful thing. So it's, it's cool. It feels like as genres, like they've been siblings for so long, but finally they're like, they're like making up. Like they've, they haven't talked to each other in so long. They, they've been avoiding each other. They've been like, you know, actively holding a grudge toward each other. But now they're like, you know what? Let's have some coffee. And it's like the world is benefiting from, from that good, like, mocha latte that they're enjoying. <laughs> but let's, let's just talk a little bit more about your song because it also highlights two of the most important da uh, figures in dance music. Uh, Frankie Knuckles and Larry Levan. I mean, they no, really need no real introduction uh, if you're a fan of music and DJ culture. Um, but I'm keen to know, you know, you made the song, uh, Frankie and Levan, um, and, you know, you made this incredible video. It's actually linked in the chat. If you if you uh, press exclamation point follow, you'll find not only your social media, but also a link to the video if you want to watch it, um, which is a fantastic video. I watched it. I was like, this is really, really cool. Um, you shot it on on the London Underground, and you you started the you started out dressed in like Texas attire. I was like, this is really cool narrative that's going on here. Um, mm. But really quickly, like I know we're kind of getting very short on time. I really want to know like your relationship with those people and why you chose to make that song. They're they're the gods, you know. Like dance music, dance culture, just like wouldn't be what it is without Frankie Knuckles and Larry LeVan, in my opinion. Obviously, there's so many more people that contributed to that. But I really see them as like, there's like music before Frankie Knuckles and Larry LeVan and there's music like after them or, or even more like there's like clubs before them and clubs after them, you know? Because I think, especially with Paradise Garage, Larry like really set the tone for what a dance club is. And um, I don't know, uh, I think it just felt right to kind of acknowledge them in, in a very direct way by like titling the name of the record, like Frankie and the Van. It was kind of also an ode to their 
their like friendship because before they became DJs or anything, like they were like the best of friends and getting into all kinds of trouble and stuff together. Um, and the EP that that comes from was meant to be about kind of excavating the roots of dance music and reinterpreting that and kind of finding new new ways of of uh, maybe presenting it or just drawing connections between different sounds and uh, regional forms of dance music. So I don't know. They just felt like I needed I needed to speak on them. You know, and I needed to highlight them. Um, also, it just sounded cool to say Frankie and the Van. Like I don't know, and and also I don't know. Like I am a total fan of music. Before anything, I'm a total nerd, and like the nerd in me just really wanted to do that. Just wanted to highlight it, like as a fan. You know, I think the song that that Frankie and the Van is 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 different in a way it's it's inspired by the things larry would have been playing and the things frankie would have been playing but um it's definitely put through my own filter and um for the music video uh shout out to david wilson who's like the most incredible director and it wouldn't have have happened without him um but a lot of his work deals with with queer narratives can't talk right now um and he's like the only person I felt comfortable kind of opening up that side of my life about. So a lot of the video is telling the story of my journey as a queer person growing up in Texas, being involved in the hip hop scene, moving to London, kind of like, you know, blossoming or whatever. Uh, there's a lot of flower references going on today. I think maybe because I'm in LA. <laughs> like a lot of yeah, and it's in that narrative, that storyline is communicated through the outfit, um, through the dancing. Um, I actually designed the outfit, and it was meant to be this play on street culture and like cowboy culture. Um, so it's it's essentially a tracksuit that we've made into like a western, like a westernized tracksuit, and then I had this like big hat made and. Um, you know, I start out doing these kind of classic Texas dance moves. Like I'm doing a few like Dallas Boogie dance moves, but then I turn around and mock those dance moves for this kind of like toxic, homophobic, you know, element that they have to them by like, you know, like I'll do like there's a part where I do a Dallas Boogie move and then I turn around and like I hump like the the armrest and then I like lick the handrail or whatever of, of the train. Um, and yeah like i don't know it's the whole thing is is about that you know like layers of the outfit come off and it's symbolic of like getting down to the deeper parts the more raw parts of me and and by the end of it you know i'm essentially like naked i'm like completely like pure like there's nothing else to remove like this is just who i am at this point and um, it's it's the only time in the video where there's like light coming through the windows. So it's just kind of like, I don't know, like I've arrived at enlightenment maybe kind of moment or yeah, like I've, I've kind of found the source, the core of like who I am, you know? And uh, yeah, it's, it's essentially about that. Um, 
and it's also just a very steamy <laughs> video. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. It just felt really important to make that. Um, it was extremely nerve-wracking to make because I don't know if anyone here has ever been on the set of a music video or any large film production, but there's so many crews of people involved in these things. And as I'm like flopping around half naked and moist, um, <laughs> there's like crews of like the most straight white dudes you've ever met in your life, like watching all of this. And they're like in the train with me, you know, like holding lights and shit. And mind you, these guys probably have seen it all. Like they, they do this every day or whatever, but I don't do that every day. And so it was like, it was very confronting. It was almost like the people who um, were essentially like my oppressors as a kid growing up in Texas were like right in front of me. And I, I don't know, I just had to dance my way through it essentially. <laughs> And it only added to it because it was like, it was, it was actually capturing a real performance. You know, it like, I was really hitting like those dips and like all of it just extra hard to really make my point. And um, that felt great, you know? And for me, art, art really is this form of therapy. It's an opportunity to learn about myself and like, even if like no one ever sees that music video, it doesn't matter to me because I walked off of that set feeling so cleansed and so like self-aware, you know, and I feel better from, from that. Like I feel better because of doing that music video. And in that way, like nobody can, can ever tell me otherwise. Like, and this is again, why I think it's important to do things that only you believe in, you know, because the moment someone says that it's not good enough or they don't like it, it's irrelevant, you know, because essentially you didn't do it for their opinion. Like you yeah. did it because you needed to do it. And and when it comes from that place, like nobody can say shit. It's just like, I did it for me. Sorry if you don't like it, but I got what I needed out of it. So. <laughs> Sounds transformative, man. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know what's so cool though too like um you know you, you talk what that makes me feel is like your a sense of vulnerability and you know if we if we were to rewind and start talking about mixing and stuff um and what makes a good song in my opinion it does come up here quite often is like vulnerability is like one of the most important things that everyone can relate to you know that's why people adore Amy yeah. Winehouse or Nina Simone you know their vulnerability yeah. through their voice and the the music yeah. they make is instantly relatable because it's so real and they're so naked, yeah. you know, and, 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 and yeah. exposed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting that word, that word gets thrown around a lot. I think people often like almost romanticize, um, vulnerability, but it is true that when, when someone is, is completely letting go, and completely demonstrating their humanity, that's when the magic happens. And I think great art essentially is a mirror, you know? Like when art is really working, it's like holding up a mirror in front of an audience. And with that mirror, they see themselves and they begin to, to 
realize things about themselves and, and their own experiences. And it's kind of like through Amy being so, so human on stage, you know, through Adele being so human on stage, be, through Bob Dylan being so human, like whoever you want to say, you begin to see yourself in them, you know? And, um, and that's powerful. You know, I think, I think maybe there's an underlying truth to all of this, which is maybe that um, we all really just want to know, like, like who we are, like why we're here, what it's all about kind of thing. And art, art is such a powerful medium in, uh, in understanding that, you know? So to me, this is where like vulnerability, rawness, humanity comes in, into play. And, and again, creating the feeling, like I was saying earlier, like humans are not perfect, you know, in a lot of ways. And, but that's what makes us perfect. That's what makes us special. Mm-hmm. And I think the more we, we embrace like the flaws and the things that we see as weaknesses, the more we realize like those things are actually major strengths that set us apart from anyone else, you know? Um, so yeah and that that can come in in any form once again like that can come in the way that you mix records in the way that you scratch in the selection that you choose in a dj set whatever it is yeah just be you that's really that's really where it's at um this this kind of leads really well into this this question we ask every guest on the show and i think we may have even asked you this before but what does the power of music mean to you oh my god such a that's such a big question. Um, huh. Uh, it means so many things. I think the power of music to me. Um, oof. I'm really, I really don't know how to answer that question. I think the power of music to me means connection. It means um, love. It means remembrance as well. I think music is such a uh, such a like incredible phenomenon. Like the whole concept of sound and hearing something and, and vibrations. To me, there's a lot of like higher energy in that. You know, um, so it's it's I don't know. It's a great reminder that I think uh, we're a part of something bigger than us. Because I think we've all had those moments where we listen to records and we get goosebumps and it's like something washes over us and we don't really know what it is, but it just feels bigger than us, you know, and it, it is the universal language like that feeling connects us all, you know, and um, it's pretty wild to me that as a musician, you can go anywhere in the world and play your music and, you know, if you're good, like people will respond to that, you know? Um, but yeah, the power of music, ah, oh, it's like, it's unity, it's love, it's darkness, it's understanding, it's, I don't know, it's, uh, it's the reason, it's the reason for the season. Like, I don't know. I have to think about that one a little more. <laughs> that's, that's great though. I mean, that's it. You, you nailed it, man. Okay. But I, I, I attempted it. <laughs> 
It's a big one. <laughs> it's a big one, man. It's a hard question. Sometimes I even feel like, oh, is this even fair to ask people this? This is like a you could write a book on this, man. <laughs> it's like saying like like what what is life to you? But it is a personal thing, right? Like I I do think everyone has the, that's the great thing is about the answers we get from people on that is like it's always different and I mean there's a lot of similar themes, but it's yeah, it's a very personal thing, you know, and 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 yeah. what it's given to people, you know, like you know, even what I was saying with how it gives me perspective and understanding, like that's yeah. my my thing, you know, whatever. But it it, yeah. it is different for everybody. Some people don't need that perspective; they live it, so it gives them an escape, or you know. And I think that's yeah. the cool thing. But hundred percent. But back to you, Zach, and you know some of the accomplishments you've got already, and then things that you've got coming up. I just wanted to. I, I know we're taking up a lot of your time here, so I'll, I'll try and get get through this real quick, but. Um, recently you worked on one of my favorite songs, which, um, uh, I want to tell, I want me, I want people to know about, um, and that's yeah. Dolce's persuasive. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love that joint. So tell me about that. Uh, well, first of all, shout out to my brother, Cal Banks, who was like the main producer of that song. He brought me in to work on that record. Cal Banks and I go way back to the Dallas boogie days where Cal used to be a rapper and I used to play his records in clubs. He also used to host with me at clubs. Like he was the guy next to me on the mic. And he, he always like helped me break up fights and things <laughs> at clubs and like, yeah, he's just like, he's been a really important person in my life. Um, so when I was in LA last year, I told him I was in town. He's like, come through to the session. I've got an artist that I think you'll really love. And it was Dochi, and the record that we were working on was uh, Persuasive. And um, at the time, it was more in a, like a Caetronada-esque realm. Very, like, funk, kind of driven in a way, but with, like, a, a groovy kind of thing under it. Um, but Dochi really wanted, like a, like, a house element to it, like a Vogue kind of element to it. So, so that's essentially where I came in. And I helped kind of create the second half of that song, which is the more house-oriented part. I also did some, like, sound design and stuff on it. But I can't say enough about Dochi. That's my sister. I love her to death. And she's next. Like, like people better, like, prepare themselves. Because, like, man, the music that she's coming with is insane. It was insane. I was actually just in the studio with her last night. Oh. And, um, so this is perfect timing. <laughs> and um, yeah, like it was wild. The energy is just just crazy, you know. And I can't wait for, for more people to know about her. You know, she's like, she's truly like uh, the full package. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Is there any anything specific? No, no, that yeah. look, that's that's it. I love Doji, and and I, I first heard her on the Isaiah Rashad record, uh, "House Is Burning," and that was produced by Cal Banks too, right? Yeah, Cal is is uh, an in-house producer at TDE, so he works on a lot of stuff there, um, and particularly with with um, Ian, like he's produced most of his more recent stuff, I believe. Um, yeah, shout out to Cal. Yeah, I can't wait to hear some new music though from you and Doji. Uh, Man, that, that's something to look forward to. But um, yeah, what? Sweat. <laughs> what else you got though uh, coming up, man? Is there anything you you want to share or let people know about that they can look forward to 
uh, from Zach Witness in the future? Absolutely. Oh, there's so much. Um, I've been writing a lot of my own music at this point. Um, at, yeah, it's full artist mode for me. Uh, and it's very much so in, in the, I don't know, in, in the lineage of like, not to compare myself necessarily to these people, but the approach is similar to that of like Prince and Bowie and James Brown, all these guys, like these, these are kind of like my archetypes and, you know, I'm playing all the instruments, I'm producing the records, I'm performing all of the vocals and writing the lyrics. Um, and it just feels like it's time, you know, like I've danced around being an artist for so long. I've been the producer, I've been the DJ, I've been the engineer. I've basically done everything except be on the stage with the mic. And um, yeah, it just feels like where, where culture is at the moment, you know, with Beyonce doing what she's doing and other people doing what they're doing, like dance music is, is so exciting again and people really want to know about it, and really want to be a part of it. And my whole life has been that. It's been dancing, it's been dance music. So it feels like my card is, is essentially being pulled. Like, like I have so much to say right now, you know? And yeah, so all that to be said, I'm working on an album and that album hopefully will be coming out very soon. Um, and hopefully we'll start rolling out records very soon as well. Um, but I'm coming for these bitches. Like, <laughs> it's, man, it's gonna be so much fun. It's going to be a wild ride, but it's going to be so much fun, Matt. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I can't wait. I can't wait. Are there any um, collaborations you, you, you can let us know that you might be coming up or or any artists that you want to collaborate with that, you know, um, you know, if you could have on, a, on an album? Man, you know what? I've been extremely blessed. I've worked with, like, most of my biggest heroes at this point. Um, I mean, Nyla Rogers and I might have a few records together. Oh, shit. Dolce and I might be working on things. I don't know. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be fun. That's all I can say. Yeah, it's going to oh, be really man. fun. Well, I like the sounds of where that's going, man. I cannot wait to hear what you got coming up next, Zach. So, um, Thanks, man. man. Thank you, and um, and thank you so much for your time today, dude. Like, like I said, if you, if you're not familiar with Zach already, like in the chat or anyone who's listening, um, yeah, type and follow in the chat. We have all the all the social media links linked in the Discord, and um, yeah, it's on the unscripted playlist on uh, on Title too, so you can get familiar there. Um, it's all, it's all heat. I mean, what can I say? It's just you know, it's another your next favorite artist. It's been an honor, Matt. This has been such a pleasure today, man. I love speaking to you. Like, you you really like do the homework and like know your shit, man. So, it's been such a pleasure speaking today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Zach. That means a lot. And um, yeah, um, is there anything you want to shout out before we bounce out of here? Uh, <laughs> man, shout out to Serato, actually. <laughs> Like, I hate to be that guy, like, just plugging the brand and shit, but, like, <laughs> you know what? Serato from day one has shown so much love. Like, before I was really, like, really starting to make waves, like, Serato was like, no, we want to support you and, and, like, please, like, be a part of this. And 
and everyone I've met at Serato has been so cool and like so hospitable. Um, and I still talk to like most people that I've met from Serato to this day. So shout out to Serato, definitely. Um, there's a few features I'd like to see implemented soon, <laughs> which I'll be speaking maybe to you or someone else about. No. Yeah, um, offline, we'll do it, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm just, nah, I'm grateful, man. It's, I think so much of life comes down to surrounding yourself with good people, no matter what it is that you're doing. And honestly, everyone that I've had the pleasure of meeting at Serato has been nothing but good people. So, yeah. Shout awesome. out to you. Shout out to you, man. Well, shout out you, Zach. And, and also, shout out Recluse for put, for introducing us in the first place. Yeah, Recluse. Um, what up? Real, before we go, real quick story, though. I want to I like remedy something. Because when we first met, there was a very funny incident that we had at South by Southwest. Where after the... Um, after the Erica Badu show at the at the at the event, um, we were taken to a room where it was filled with vans, and they were kind of like everyone was like, "Oh, just help yourself to vans," and we got kicked out of the vans room because it was for Erica only, and we were just taking shit. It was out of control, <laughs> and they were like, "You got you can't take the vans. You, you know who are you? Get out!" And we were all so. I remember Recluse, poor Recluse, his heart was broken. He had shoes for his for kids and all sorts of shit, <laughs> but. <laughs> but shoes for his kids the next yeah. day i think i think we went to a, an, an event and it was sponsored by vans and they were like sign up for free vans and they came through so you know in the end we were mad at vans but they still followed through so that was a, okay. a, a great memory with you Zach. <laughs> whoa i totally forgot about that but i totally remember that and i definitely did keep the vans that i stole that day yes <laughs> awesome <laughs> i'm glad you did because we didn't <laughs> but um yeah yeah Anyways, man, uh, enjoy the rest of your day, man. Great to see you. And shout out, um, yeah, big up on, on all your achievements, man. It's always a pleasure to see you. And I hope to see you in L.A. real soon. So I'll definitely Absolutely. stay in touch. Likewise. Love, love. All right. All right. Peace. Peace, Zach. Peace.